You're listening to the Men Who Made Me podcast, all about discovering healthy masculinity, male identity, and more, as told by the men who made us. This is a special episode, as Caleb and I interview our own pastor, Gabe Coyle, for the podcast. Actually, Gabe's been on the receiving end of some of these questions for years now that sparked our first interest in a podcast like this. Questions like, what does it mean to follow Jesus, who existed as a human man? What are the differences between men and women, culturally versus biblically? And simply, where are all the guys at church? Though Gabe's been on the receiving end of those questions for a while now, we were ecstatic when he let us put a mic in front of him to ask him a few more. We hope his approach brings helpfulness as well as healing to a few nuances of the conversation. That being said, we can't wait to give you a taste of our time together. So here is our conversation with Gabe Coyle. Do you want to start us out? I can start us out. Gabe, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is, (laughs) once again, I just feel honored and and, yeah, deeply uh, grateful to be invited. So yeah. Happy here. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, so to start, can you just give us a summary of who are you, Gabe? I mean, we've got your name, uh, <laughs> but what do you do? Um, tell us a little bit about your family or anything else mm. you'd like to share about about yourself. Yeah, who am I? Um, you know, I mean, I know this is cliche and I get it, I'm a pastor and all these things, but yeah, I'm just someone who's in love with Jesus. More and more I find that when I'm having conversations with people that... That I I naturally want to go there more than anything. So I just love Jesus, and I'm really grateful that He loves me back, mm-hmm. um, and He loved me first. And even when I wrestle with Him, He still loves me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, and then uh, yeah, I grew up in a home where my dad was a missionary and entrepreneur, and then became a broken home, um, deeply fractured. Um, whole lot of details there that we won't go into, but then. With a really strong single mom and two amazing older sisters who have been continually catalytic uh, in my life. I was just texting with my one sister this morning. She's like, were you awake? She's like, oh, of course you were awake. You're always awake. <laughs> but the, <clears throat> so that and then, uh, yeah, felt called to be a pastor. Um, and here I am as a pastor. I have an amazing wife, Allie, who consistently makes me a better human. And I have three amazing kids who also do the same. Make me a better human and show me a lot of grace and um, are just a ton of fun and sometimes downright exhausting. And both are true. Uh, but <clears throat> it's that's a little bit of me. So I'm a pastor. I love to run a whole lot. Um, so I'll bring in a personal component there. I like to do... Uh, some people consider them stupid. Some people consider... <laughs> I see some headphones. <laughs> Ultra marathons. It's uh, I just love the challenge. I love the community of ultra marathoners um, and kind of getting to know people's stories. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love really difficult things that come with a ton of payoff. So, so you kind of, we have this running joke that somebody like passes the test for a podcast guest when they say that they don't feel qualified to be here. So congratulations. Well, the tone continues on in this moment. Yes, okay. But uh, we do, we think it's like actually quite a cool thing when somebody that we think 
has a lot of wisdom and thought to share um, still feels humble enough to not feel qualified for that kind of thing. So mm. we are excited that you're here. We know that you'll have a lot of wisdom to say, but just kind of a funny trend that we've seen. Right. It's like Lord of the Rings when they offer the ring to someone powerful and they say, no, they don't want it. Mm. <laughs> wow. Big not comparison. To <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we do love to see that, but I guess just to start off with, because we think it's important for each person to define this in their own way how would you define masculinity if you had to sum it up we know that's a big question but yeah and I, I you know you sent me these some of these questions ahead of time and I've been trying to process and I think this is really hard and I, I even tried to like boil it down and um, it's like what's the difference between masculinity and maleness is there a difference mm. Um, in terms of gender and then the broader frame of what it means to be quote-unquote masculine um, and then I started thinking through opposites but sameness within femininity mm. and female ultimately it's just deeply connected to maleness but doesn't necessarily come with all the cultural stereotypes mm. um, being masculine I think is just being okay with being male hmm. Hmm. I know that seems like a really low bar maybe mm-hmm. but to be masculine means that you recognize that you are a human being who is male and that can mean a lot of different things. Hmm. I don't know. That seems maybe really too broad, but the more I started going down tributaries of thought, I thought to myself, nah, that might be a little more culturally conditioned or a little more culturally bound. Um, and I could think of some dynamics, you know, I, I'm informed and been helped by Tim Kelly, I've always appreciated the way he's been generous and um, open-handed how he's collaborated with Kathy Keller. I talk about them in the first, you know, like first names, like I'm friends, right? <laughs> I don't know them at all, but uh, other than through their writings and their history. Um, and I have appreciated how, and I've seen this anecdotally, is that I have noticed a higher trend in masculinity to the, at least that celebrates a level of independence um, where there is this standalone kind of the lone wolf framework. I'm not always saying that's good, but I do think that often gets associated with masculinity. So at the end of the day, masculinity is just being okay with being male. And that doesn't answer a lot of questions, does it? Which is, I think, kind of the point. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing profound there, but there it is. That's good. Have has your definition of that changed over time? Like did you used oh, to yes. have a definition oh, and it's Oh yes. Grown? I mean, you know, I went through different permutations of like Christian subculture and they came with pros and cons, mm-hmm. to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not someone who's just going to poo poo my past or mm-hmm. you know, or thing like that. Um but but I used to think it was like building fires and going on <laughs> camping trips and playing sports and and frankly that cultivated a lot to my insecurity even though I love hiking and I enjoy camping mm-hmm. um, growing up with a single mom and my dad never really around mm. I always thought that there was this secret code to masculinity mm. and was always kind of like 
sitting and listening. I try to, I know it sounds so funny to think back on, but I would sit there and I'd be in a group of guys and they would start talking about things. I'm like, oh, that's what it means to be, you know, masculine dude, like a guy, guy a guy's guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly listening for tips, like the, the secrets <laughs> that they'd learned from their dad or from this other group of guys. Um, and also kind of trying to figure out, and then there was shame because I'm like, man, I'm learning things from my sisters and my mom. Am I picking up femininity over against masculinity? And in middle school and high school, gosh, all your chemicals are going nuts and your brain's trying to figure things out and your body's doing weird things. And you're like, am I masculine enough? That's usually the word that follows masculine or feminine, like masculine enough. It becomes a measuring stick. That nobody in their right mind feels like they measure up to. It kind of, I don't know if all of the listeners remember Parks and Rec. The older I get, I feel like it becomes an artifact versus something relevant. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I love Ron Swanson. I think he's an extraordinary character. But the lesser known uh, character is Ron Dunn from Eagleton. His, like, alter ego I way more relate with Ron Dunn, like barefoot, like get in touch with your feelings. You know, I tend to lean towards vegetarianism and things like that. And so it's like, you know, I think Ron Swanson is how we often in many subcultures represent masculinity. And then I look at Ron Dunn and he's kind of like the poke fun. But then you see that Ron Swanson has like this... Even in his fictional character, he has this all he has an alter ego of his own <laughs> where he's playing the saxophone and very feely, yeah. but he feels shamed, right? Mm. To even show that and feels like he has to keep it a secret. So there are these parts of him mm. that are constantly fragmented. Anyway, so for me, <clears throat> I think I grew up, if I'm gonna use some language, I grew up thinking it was Ron Swanson. Mm. And then I realized I was Ron Dunn. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't know how I fit, frankly. Mm. And um, and then come to see more and more that there are folks who feel great about being Ron Swanson and folks who feel great about being Ron Dunn. I'm really leaning into this, by the I way, right? Um, and that it's just an okayness to say your maleness, your masculinity doesn't have to take on one of these hyper frames. Um, but you can be who God's made you to be. Hmm. Um, and that can be masculine enough. Mm. Right? It's good. Um, it's a good word. Good pop culture reference, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I, once again, I'm starting to get, I'm right on that teetering edge where I'm like talking to people and they're like, what's that? I've never even heard of The Office. I'm like, oh man. Oh no. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, there we go. Mm. Well, thinking about Ron Swanson, too, oftentimes the men we look up to always know what to do in a mm. situation. And that feels like part of the equation when it comes to being man enough is knowing Mm -hmm. how to respond in any situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there truth in that? Is there, is it important to always know what to do or what's, what space do we need to have for not knowing? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for, for men, especially there's an expectation that if you are good at what you do, or if you're a leader, you're someone who can be looked to, to make the right decision at the right time. And so how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. I was thinking about this. Because uh, honestly, the people that I look up to most, um, I, I rarely look up to the people, 
at least as I kind of think of it, I, I'm not really inspired, intrigued, encouraged, or drawn to people who do the fake it till you make it. And I'm also at the point in life where I know no one knows all the answers. Mm. Like, and you know, because there have been times where I'm like, man, they really knew. And then I get behind the scenes and it's like, oh man, I had no idea what I was doing in there. How did that go? It's like, what? I thought you knew what you were doing. Like, you know what I mean? There's so many times when you get a look behind the curtain, there's real questions, doubts, and because that's human. Mm. And more, the, more and more, I just find that where I really have the deepest respect um, and when I think about, and I think this is true for across genders, but I think for, for men when they show up in this space, in a space of unknown, you don't show up knowing the answer or knowing even what to do. You show up knowing how to show up. Hmm. I think that's the categorical difference. You show up with values that I'm going to be honest no matter what. Um, I'm going to show up and be humble no matter what. I'm going to name what. I agree with or where I, what I know and what I don't know and courage to step into the mess and courage to keep going or even the courage to stand still. So it, it becomes more about these values that no matter what comes, and those are the people I respect the most. Like when, when this happens, no matter what comes, what's, what's behind the door? I don't know what's behind the door, but I know who I'm going to be no matter what's behind the door. I'm going to be someone who's honest when nobody wants to say the thing, I'm going to say the thing. Why? Because I think that brings life. Well, I'm, what, what, what if there's something out there that you don't know? I'm going to name that I don't know it. And then I'm also going to step into this humble posture, recognizing I'm not the person who has all the answers. And I'm going to go with courage, resting in the fact that God's got us no matter what. Like if, if I can show up like that, then I think we've got the tools to figure out what's best rather than and this is the question it's like i need to know asking myself the question why do i need to know what the right answer is before i walk in the door why do i need to know what the right thing is oftentimes it's because i feel like i have something to prove it's oftentimes because i feel like i've got a part of me i want to hide and instead in the gospel like we see that jesus loves us when we had nothing you know, while we were sinners, that's when he died for us. And so we are just loved unconditionally. So if I can step into a space knowing I'm loved unconditionally, no matter what the outcome is, then I can be free to be honest. I can be free to be humble. I can be free to even be courageous and stand still when we're leaning into the work of the spirit or step out hmm. when it's time to move. Um, once again, and that it's way squishier. It's values versus knowledge it's posture versus always knowing the right step to hmm. take that's really good so i'm curious like what you said earlier that you've been raised by a single mom you have mm. two sisters one of the fun things for me i guess is like learning how the conversation around masculinity is also influenced by women mm -hmm. and so yeah, we're curious, just what roles have other women played in helping you become the man that you are today? How does that shape hmm. your journey? Yeah, you know, what's wonderful 
You know, one of the difficulties, I think, when you think of the battle of the sexes is just our perception of one another, men's perception of women and women's perception of men and so on, and the stereotypes we have of one another, the wounds we have with one another. And what's wonderful is like three of these pillars in my life, and now I would include my wife and my daughter. I mean, I still think my daughter's going to rule the world one day, <laughs> but they're all so different, mm. extremely different. Um, my mom is the wise, quiet one who doesn't actually want to give you a hug most of the time. She'd rather just sit and cry with you, she, but doesn't feel comfortable with physical touch. <laughs> my sister, Emmy, is the bleeding heart, and she will just hug you, hold you, you know. And then my sister, Yvonne, is black and white. Like, this is, the, you know, they don't care if I name them. But, the, you know, like, it's like, this is wrong. This is clearly wrong. You know, very different personalities. And then my wife is like this quiet powerhouse. And then my daughter will not do anything unless she feels convicted by it. Like, you know, so you, you look at these distinctives. And so one of the ways being surrounded by such wonderful women is that it's broken down stereotypes for me hmm. as a guy that, oh, to show up like this is what a godly woman looks like. And I have a very specific, nuanced, personality, you know, driven kind of perspective. But instead, as a man, I can step in and be like, oh, you know what? You know, people show up differently. And that also, when you see that in an opposite gender, that gives you freedom too again. You're like, oh, these women I deeply respect are showing up differently. Still God-honoring. They love Jesus. But then that means I don't have to show up exactly the same way as every other guy or that stereotypical picture. So there is beauty in seeing difference in difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Diversity in difference. Um because it reminds you then on your side of the equation as a guy, like, oh, okay, then maybe that's how women will perceive me too. You know, because there is that element. You're thinking about masculinity isn't just how men perceive themselves, but it's how women perceive men. Hmm. And seeking to kind of navigate that in community. Hmm. Um, so that's been one thing. But man, I just, I just see how women have shaped my perspective of life is just the wonderful strength of women simultaneously mm. um sometimes it's like men have to be the strong one well uh with an absentee father i saw extraordinary strength in my mom and it looked like me coming home in the evenings you know from an event or something like that in high school and seeing her weeping over her bible mm. her strength was anchored in the gospel and in his word in god's word and same with my sisters, when it comes to the things they're most passionate about, they're anchored in God's word. Um, and same with my wife. I come down most mornings, you know, I get up and do kind of my own rhythms early in the morning, but then I go get the kids up and I come down and Allie's always just, she's doing her devotions like every morning. So just an anchoring in the word, which is not like... I don't know, sometimes when the conversations of like masculinity or men in the house, like leading with the word, it almost can communicate that <clears throat> women can't mm. just by the emphasis on men leading, you know, when you get to Ephesians 5, washing, you know, with the water of the word. And you can almost have this perspective that, and, and some people take this that far, where it's like, oh, well, men have to be the ones that are constantly putting their family in the word and kind of like, 
like encouraging because the, the wife won't unless the man and that is not what I've seen mm. like it is much more mutual where my mom's focus my sister's focus I mean my daughter we, we put her to bed and she'll like turn on her light and she's reading her Bible like I I see the hunger for the intimacy with God and how that impacts me as a man you know and so um, that's been probably one of the, the two biggest things is like the diversity of how women show up in the world has given me both a framework to engage uh, with the opposite sex as well as gives me a greater confidence in my own mm. um, diversity and how I show up as a man. Mm. But then also seeing strength and beauty and wonder and brilliance um, around me in women who have helped make me the man that I am. Mm. You know, it was fascinating. We had. Uh, a counselor here and professor and doctor, uh, Dr. Sadusky. And she said something that just blew my mind. And she said, you know, we always talk about men needing to have time with boys and women needing to have time with girls. Um, but actually the science shows, <laughs> which I love when somebody starts a sentence like that. It's like, <laughs> now I'm listening. Okay, but the science shows that actually women have a greater sense of self and strength and men have a greater sense of self and strength in these diverse groups of mm. men and women where they're both speaking into each other mm. versus just in isolation. And I've just seen that bear out in my own life. Um, yeah. So those would be a mm. couple observations. Um, yeah. Some of my greatest heroes of the faith are women and that doesn't make me feel insecure in my masculinity. It actually gives me greater strength in who I feel God's called me to be. Mm. That's really good. Mm. I mean, it's cool. I think it's a lot of the heart even behind why we started doing these interviews. Mm. And, you know, the thought of there's so much fractured relationships and mm. brokenness within gender or the church or relationships or whatever it is. But, like, we are in in the hopes of creating this, like wanting to create that space for like hmm. some of hmm. that restoration to happen in these conversations. So hmm. I'm glad that you've touched on that. That's really cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of that, I think that we were really curious to have you on as a pastor specifically hmm. to talk about some of that fractured, um, relationship or structure within the church when Mm. it comes to masculinity or male identity or kind of these, um, Mm. I don't know, hyper focuses on, uh, femininity or masculinity. And Mm. so we've talked about how, um, some of this conversation came about with, um, the podcast there is involved Mars Hill and some Mm. of the conversations that, um, happened since then about what, what does it actually mean to be man? Um, how how do women play into that conversation? Mm. And so, I don't know. I would just love your thoughts on... We have a bunch of sub-questions around that, but mm. maybe, like, as a pastor, just how are you approaching that conversation? Mm. What have you heard? Um, mm. I don't know. How does that land for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, transparently, some of the hyper-masculinity or the great, like... If I just lean into that kind of, whenever we start getting into these extremes or the definitions get too rigid, I do think there's difference between men and women and masculinity and femininity. 
But the more we tease that out, the more it really does take on cultural language, which doesn't came, come with the same authority as biblical authority. Being aware of cultural permutations or expressions of that is good, having dialogue about that, and that doesn't always mean it's bad. I think where it really gets toxic and where it can just shut people out who don't fit those cultural realities is when cultural expressions are celebrated as biblical norms. Mm. And then you feel like you're not only not fitting in your broader culture per the world in which we find ourselves, but you're unloved and not enough for God. Mm. And that is where it just feels utterly destructive. Mm. Um, Like there's an element where, you know, there are subcultures of guys who like to do similar things and that's great. And they can get together and do those similar things, you know? Um, and I think that's fine and good. But once again, the moment you step behind a pulpit or you start communicating, and this is what's really hard. I think this is really hard as a pastor. You you do have to just think like 10 steps out <laughs> And sometimes there's exhaustion. Sometimes, you know, it was somebody else's idea and you want to, you know, affirm their leadership and give them a space. But it's like, if you only have one kind of men's ministry, and sometimes we've wrestled with that here. It's like, if you only have one kind of men's ministry, even though we wouldn't say, this is what defines a man, Mm -hmm. the fact that you only have one and that's the only option can unintentionally communicate, this is what summarizes being a man. <clears throat> and and because and we've done that with certain ministries and things like that where I've had conversations with guys who are in different parts in their story and they're just like, hey, I don't fit that. I'm like, that's great. It's not we don't want that to define masculinity or manhood. Um it's it is an outlet for those kinds of guys who have those kinds of interests, um, who find those kinds of affinities to do those sorts of things. And to be able to find some Christian friendship in the midst of that. But I think that's what's really hard is it's not only what you say, it's what you don't say. Sometimes it's who you quote, Mm. you know, you say one quote from this one person about this one thing. And then someone sitting there in the seat is like, Oh, he quoted so-and-so. So does that mean he also agrees with the other 99% of what that person said? And you know, it's like, if you've met one guy, I mean, I know people use this expression for minorities broadly, right? Whether it be sexual minorities or racial and ethnic minorities, but it's like, if you've met one fill in the blank, you've met one fill in the blank. I've come to realize that's true of men and women. Like Mm -hmm. if you've met a human, you've met a human, like, (laughs) um, and they there are some real difficulties it's like when you step into a conversation and you start to make all of these assumptions like last night you know we had this event and somebody was talking about football i enjoy watching football i don't make time to watch football right there's a distinction there are people who live around football right that's another extreme or there are people who detest football for any number of reasons i'm kind of in that camp where it's like man i watch a sporting event i am so in it in that moment but it happens by accident, <laughs> you know, most of the time. Um, and I enjoy it and I like playing sports, but I don't, I made decisions that didn't make that the center. Mm. So like I'm in this conversation and a couple guys are like, the game, this, that, and I was like, 
I gotta be honest, guys, I don't know why this is significant. Like, you're really excited. Are you fans of these teams? And they're like, oh, no, this game impacts that game, which impacts this game and puts us in this ranking. I was like, oh, cool. You know, like, so so in the midst of that, like, I'm excited. I love that they're having fun talking about it. And, but I also want us to be a place where people like me, frankly, (laughs) can be okay just being able to enjoy that they enjoy that. But not needing to feel like it's the marker for my belonging. Mm. Um, and that's, that is a tension to manage rather than a problem to solve. I don't think it'll ever dissipate mm. as long as we are human beings creating culture. Mm. And we're seeking to constantly go back to the word and say, was this culture informed by scripture or just supplemental? It's not good or bad. It's neutral. Like there are certain things that aren't necessarily overarching like gonna move the common good forward but they're fun i don't know which can in and of itself be a common good and then there are toxic things in every culture right toxic things kind of neutral things and like good things and we're always because culture's always changing and the people approaching scripture we're always growing we're always coming back to kind of assess okay with that humility with that honesty and that courage okay do we really have biblical authority for this? No. Okay, well, let's be honest about that. Mm. And let's have the courage to provide some diversity as to what masculinity might mean. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. good. Um, you mentioned trying to, in some way, just provide a framework for people to, mm. to think about things in the right way. But um, at least in Paige and I's lives, I, we're, we're seeming to see more skepticism of male leadership than we mm. have before. And... Um, you know, I think in, it's also just we're in our 20s and we haven't experienced much of the world yet. And there have been times of extreme, extreme skepticism of, of male leadership in the church before. But um, this is the first, I feel like, wave of it for us where mm-hmm. it's just increasingly pronounced. So how do you, I mean, you've talked about posture. Mm-hmm. Maybe what postures do you try to uh, adopt when you go into conversations about male leadership in a time where... There is a lot of skepticism, I think, not only from women now, but also from men. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, doing a lot of cultural analysis is key. Um, You know, in the West, we tend to be anti-authoritarian. In the East, there's much more an authoritarian hierarchical structure. And so I think where we find ourselves, I kind of want to use the old Christ and culture kind of paradigms where it's like there's the the triumphant or you know we're gonna take it back oh you know masculine masculine leader take it back over or there's uh you know there's the withdrawal um and so on like there's these different models i think when we engage culture broadly that i do think have a part to play here and i'll you know and 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 i'm a i'm an embodied being with a very specific personality Oftentimes, what, and this is what I find true with others, more often than not, people lead out of one of two things, what they saw that worked hmm. or what they experienced and liked. <laughs> and, and then the last is, and they stay away from what they experienced and disliked. You know, all that, and all of that, this is highly pragmatic, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we can, we can talk about all that, but ultimately the way that I've come to understand Jesus, um, I mean, being a male, 
being uh, the son of God as I've just more and more that's just where I want to press and it's when I look at Jesus he has an extraordinary strength but an extraordinary humility he rarely demands <laughs> but he's got so much about him that people not sure he's healing people that's pretty attractive you know that draws people out um, but when he approaches the most vulnerable he's he instead creates space for them when Thomas has doubts he doesn't shame him but he says go ahead and touch the place where I have my deepest wounds and I find someone who is vulnerable, who has, once again, nothing to prove, who was deeply rejected all the way to the point of a, like the most excruciating death on the cross, but again and again and again created space for people to approach him when they were ready. Um, and I just think that's, that's it. It's a, it's a much more, and I know this is an older kind of phrase that once again we use for Christ, but I think it's a faithful presence. The moment we feel like, quote unquote, leaders are losing ground and you have to force it, you've lost and you will continue to lose more ground. Mm. Um, that I don't see on display in Jesus and I especially don't see that playing well in our cultural context. So it's a both and, um, biblical and cultural. Mm. <laughs> um, instead, I just see, hey, you know what I'm going to do? with the authority, the responsibility that I have in the places that I have, I'm going to come with an honest honesty. I'm coming back to this again, a humility um, and a courage to step into the spaces people invite me um, and to try to model that going the extra mile versus demanding others to go another mile. And, and I, and if, 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 if people see Jesus in that and they see an encouragement in that and that brings a path of healing in that then great and if it's not their time and their story to continue to experience that then that's not I, I can't I, I try not to act in, in, in pastoral ministry with a closed fist but an open hand um, and there are times people are going to want to hold that hand there are going to be times I'm going to give a high five with that hand <laughs> And then there are times that people are going to look at it and walk away. And my identity as a pastoral leader cannot be based upon whether people like me or whether people want to quote unquote, if you want to use the language of follow me. My identity is in that Jesus welcomed me and he loves me and he has me here. I mean, there's a dramatic story about an experience with God speaking specifically to me when I was in deep doubt and felt deeply called to stay in Kansas City. Mm. So I'm here doing what I do because I love Jesus and I really believe he has me here. Not because I think people deserve or I deserve people's followership or that I deserve or I'm due any number of things. I'm just here to be faithful and if Jesus, in the midst of those relationships, by the power of the Spirit, brings the fruit of unity and collaboration as we seek to follow Jesus, then great. So I don't know if I have a great answer other than just continue to, like, we, we need pastors to just follow Jesus with an open hand rather than a closed fist, and especially not a banging fist. Um, <laughs>
And I think that will curb. But it, it, this is the other thing. When we're really uncomfortable with our own wounds, we try to speed up other people's healing. And right now we have to go through the slow road of healing. And it takes way more time. And if your goal is to get something done or to be seen as someone or to have a size of a church, you're going to constantly be bulldozing, plowing over, or rushing people in their healing. And then they won't. And people, the moment they start to feel like they're pressured for your ends rather than their wholeness, they're out. And so it can't be about you building something that makes your name great. It has to be about loving Jesus and loving the people he's brought, no matter how long the journey of healing might be. And just showing up in those spaces to listen. And when you're invited in, to be honest, humble, and courageous for their good, not for your ends. That was only part one of our two-part conversation with Gabe Coyle. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation, which is upcoming. I don't think you'll want to miss it. Thanks to Caleb Miller, Bethany Van Epps, and Emmy Stewart for your collective work on this podcast. It truly wouldn't happen without all of this. Thanks to Smith and Mister for the use of their music on this episode. And thanks to you, the listener. If you like our show, let us know what you think by giving us a rating, review, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram, if that's your thing, at Men Who Made Me. We hope you'll join us next time on another episode of The Men Who Made Me. Thanks for tuning in. 